First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter number 5. We're going to be, we're going to finish this, this series up here this evening. The entire purpose of this book, Peter writes to believers that are scattered abroad because they're going through suffering. They're going through persecution. They've just been saved. They've, they, they're Jews, they're specifically they're Jews that have now trusted Christ as their Savior. And this, this Christian life is new to them. They were, they were used to living a life of, of just keeping the commandments and keeping the law and, and, and living that life under Judaism. And now all of a sudden, there is, there is, there is a new life. It's a Christian life. And they didn't have others to look to and they didn't have generations before them to, to follow after this model of what a Christian life is. They didn't have the complete Word of God in its form like we have it here this, uh, this evening. And so they were struggling. We studied through, we find where the government was persecuting them. We find that there were some, some that were married and now that they're saved, their spouse is not saved or their spouse is not following the Lord and, and they're going through persecution. And Peter deals with that, how to deal with the government, how to deal with a spouse that's not, that's not uh, following the Lord, how to deal with an employer, how to be the right employee, and how to deal with conflict. And all through the book of 1 Peter, what Peter is doing, he's helping this first generation Christian how to behave like Christ. Not when everything is going well, but when nothing is going well. When you wake up and it seems like everybody's against you. When you're living your life and it seems hopeless and it seems like you're in despair. And Peter is helping the, this Christian understand that it's not about us, but it's all about Christ. And that's what he's encouraging them through. We ended, and I want to start on the verse we ended. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 7. He said, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That him that Peter is referring to is the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this, as you're going through all of your struggles and all this persecution, as you're going through this suffering and you're not sure what to do, know this, that there's somebody that desires to care for you through this. It's because a lot of times what happens when someone's suffering, they feel like they're all alone. They feel like they're hopeless. They feel like they're going through this terrible time and there's no one that is there for them. And what Peter is helping them understand is there is somebody there and there's somebody there not, not because they have to be, but because they want to be and that is the Lord Jesus. And he says, when you come to that place, know this, the Lord wants you to cast your care upon him and he cares for you. Then he gets into verse number eight and I want to, Start there here this evening. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. You see that? After you've suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Amen. Suffering is going to come to every individual, and we saw that as we, as we studied through this, through this book. And suffering comes in three different reasons, or th- there's three different ways or reasons why we as Christians endure suffering. There's going to be three, three here I want to show you. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter number three, if you would, please. Genesis chapter number three. And this is important for us to understand this as we conclude this, this series. Genesis chapter number three, we find in verse number 16, we find that we come to the place before verse number 16 where the serpent is there and the serpent tells Eve that, that what God tells you isn't, isn't necessarily true, that God's keeping something back from you and, and that fruit is a good fruit and you're going to be wise and it's going to help you. And so we find that, that, that Eve eats of that fruit and this is what happens because of the choice that Adam and Eve chose to sin. In verse number 16, And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to, to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Curse is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, and for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living things. And unto Adam also, and unto his wife, did the Lord God make coats and skins and clothe them. And we find this, the reason why there's going to be suffering, Eve was, going, was told by God, there's going to now be suffering involved in your life. Adam was told by God, there's now going to be sorrow involved in your life. And the reason why, in some cases, there's sorrow that we're always going to go through here in this world is because of our sin nature. There's always going to be sin. Sin nature, that sin causes death. And we have to deal with the consequences of the fact that we live in a sinful world. And when we get saved, when we trust Christ as our Savior, that is not the answer where all of our problems go away and we now are our child of God and everything's perfect and everything is, is, is so much better now that we're saved. Eternity, with eternity in mind, everything is so much greater now that we're saved. But we still live in this sinful world. We still have the effects of a sin nature. There's still sorrow in life. There's still sickness and there's still pain and there's still suffering that we're going to go through. There's still funerals that have to be attended. There's still doctor's visits that we have to go on. There's still cancer that we have to deal with. There's still sorrow. And the reason that's there is because we live in a sinful world. And so there's always going to be sorrow. There's always going to be sorrow for the Christian until the Lord returns. That's the answer for us. And that's why when in 1 Thessalonians, when, when, when Paul is writing about the Lord's return, he says that those that are dead, they're going to rise again when that trumpet sounds. And those that are alive and remain, they're going to be caught up in the clouds with the Lord. And then he says this, comfort one another with these words or encourage one another, knowing this, that this old sinful life that we're living, one day there's going to be joy. One day there's going to be peace. One day sin is going to be gone. And that day is going to come when 
when we hear the trump of God and we're to comfort one another, knowing that one day we're not going to have to live in a sinful world. And so we're told here in Genesis why we have this sin nature. The second reason, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter number 6, if you would please. Ephesians chapter number 6. We find this, that suffering comes to us because of our sin nature. There's trials and there's sorrow because of sin. Secondly, I want you to see this. Suffering comes to us. Look with me in verse number 12 of chapter number 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know what Paul is telling the church here at Ephesus? There is an enemy that we're constantly at battle with. You know, most of the time, we're not waking up to the fact, Christian, that every single day of our life, there is an enemy that wants to destroy you. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness. That is our enemy. There's always going to be sorrow while we're still on this earth because there's always going to be an enemy that constantly, that constantly attacks God's children. That's what he does. He constantly is attacking. So we find suffering comes because of our sin nature. Suffering comes because of our enemy. And I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians, if you would please. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse number 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. We find this, the Bible says this, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says this. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's also, suffering is going to come also because Christ desires for us to be like him. I want you to turn with me also to James chapter number one. Keeping 2 Corinthians 12 in mind, James chapter number 1. Just a few books toward the back of your Bible. James chapter number 1. In verse number 4. Let me start actually, let me start in verse number 2 of James chapter 1. James is writing this. He's writing this to the 12 scribes or or the tribes of Jews that are scattered abroad. He's writing this, he says this, my brother, and count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So there's going to be suffering that comes because of our sin nature. There's going to be suffering that comes because we have an enemy. And there's going to be suffering that comes in the life of the believer because Christ is allowing this for our perfecting. So that we become something. The day you got saved, that's not, we're not done. It's not over. If if the Lord was finished with us then, then he'd call us home then. But he has a plan for life. He has a will for our life. And so we are to follow him. And during that process, he's constantly trying to get us to become more like him. He doesn't want the believer to stay, allowing the old nature to control him. 
That old nature doesn't leave us. That's that sin nature that we still have to battle. But we don't have to give into that old nature as a child of God. And when we go through suffering, we don't have to allow our old nature to, to continue to dictate how we deal with life and how we feel and, and how we treat others. But now we have the power of God that lives inside of us through the Holy Spirit of God. And we are now going to go through trials and suffering so that he can perfect us to let us be and cause us to be what he desires for us to be. I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5 again. 1 Peter chapter number 5. And we read this back in the text that we're studying this evening. But the, let, let the God of all grace who hath called us What's he called us to? His eternal glory by who? Christ Jesus. We're saved. He's called us to eternal glory only through Christ Jesus. After that, ye have suffered a while. What's his purpose? To perfect us, to establish us, to strengthen us, to settle us. I like that word settle us. We don't have to go through life unsettled. We don't have to go through life worried. We don't have to go through life always uh, 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 with anxiety, wondering what tomorrow is going to bring. We can have hope through Christ. So when trials come, they're to perfect us, to become more like Christ. And that's what Peter here in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 through 5 here, he's helping the believer to understand as you're going through suffering, as you're going through trials, as you're dealing with, with persecution and issues in life that are almost unbearable, you have hope in Christ. Don't give up. If you could sum up what Peter is saying is in just a couple words, what he's saying is don't quit. Don't give up. Keep going. There's a purpose to this. And so these are a few reasons why we suffer. And I want us to see this evening in verse number eight, I want us to look at first the, re- the believer's responsibility. Each and every one of us have responsi- a responsibility when it comes to suffering. You know, a lot of times when we, when we look at 1 Peter 5, 8, we kind of either quote those first few words or we look past those few, first few words and what we, what we concentrate on this is this, Satan is as a roaring lion and he walketh about seeking whom he may devour and we put all the emphasis on Satan being such a, a bad thing and he is but we can't go, get to that portion of scripture until we study the first couple words here of 1 Peter 5 8, and that is the believer has a responsibility The believer has a responsibility. I want you to see here, he says this, be sober, be vigilant. Now that word, that word sober, that word sober means this, serious, sensible, and solemn. Write those three words down. The believer is to be serious, sensible, and solemn. When we come to the place where we have no idea what to do because of the persecution we're going through, when we are in the trial of our faith, Peter calls it, when we are struggling and life isn't making sense and there's trial after trial after trial and we don't know what to do, what Peter says is this, be sober, be sensible, be solemn, be serious. Turn with me to 1 Peter. We're going to stay in 1 Peter here. 1 Peter chapter number 1. If you would, please. 
I want to review this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 13. We've studied this already in our study. But what Peter says is this, in the very first chapter of 1 Peter 1, 13, he says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Be sober. Be serious-minded. Be sensible. And hope to the end for the grace that is, that is uh, to be brought unto you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 7. He says this, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore, what? Sober and watch unto prayer. So leading up to, leading up to chapter number 5, he's already challenged the believer to be sober, to be, to be serious-minded, realize that what we're going through is serious. It's not a game. It's not a joke. The Christian life is not something that we're just, just a, a fake. It's a serious thing. And when trials come, we're to be sober and sensible. Have you ever known somebody to lose their mind when trials come? You ever say about somebody, they've lost their mind. A couple of you are smiling. The rest of you are probably like sitting real still because you're thinking they're going to think of me. Have you ever said that? Man, you, you lost your mind. You're crazy. You're insane. You say, yeah, but look at what's going on. This is happening and this is happening and, 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 and everything is falling apart. And Peter says, when you get to the place where you feel like everything is falling apart, Christian, you've got to be sensible. You know what sensible means? I have, a, I have a, a, a strong understanding of reality. And reality for the believer is this. Christ is in control. Do you know this? There's never been a time in your life where Christ has lost control. No, it, it doesn't matter what sorrow you've been in. It doesn't matter what trial you're dealing with. It doesn't matter what burden you're carrying. Christ is in control. The one, if anything's out of control, it's the Christian that's out of control, not Christ. And that's why Peter says, you've got to be serious. You've got to be sensible. You've got to be solemn. Serious, we, we need to take our walk with Christ Seriously, understanding life is about him. It's not about me. That's why he says, cast all your cares upon him. Listen, if I give, Brother Joe, if I give you something, it now becomes yours. I don't have to deal with it. It's his. It's his to take care of. Well, if I'm having something and I say, all right, I, I need to give this to somebody, and Joe says, give it to me, and I give it to him, I don't need to worry anymore. It belongs to him. It's no longer my problem. It's no longer my issue. And listen, if I give it now, if I give my problem to Joe, you know what Joe might do? He might come through for me. But he might not. Because he's human. That's why Peter didn't say, cast all your care upon another brethren. He didn't say, cast all your care upon me. What Peter said is, cast all your care upon him. He'll handle it. The problem that seems hopeless when you give it to Christ, you no longer have to fear. It's not yours anymore. You've given it to him. 
And so Peter is saying there's some things, Christian, that the believer must do. There's some things the believer has responsibility in, and that is, number one, giving it to the Lord and letting him handle it and make the problem his, or, or, uh, uh, and then handling it in a serious or a sober manner. You see, what happens is when we keep something, and we deal with it in a selfish way or a me-first way or a prideful way, We're going to give way to Satan to come in and begin to mess with our mind. He says, be sober, serious, sensible. Sensible means this. I have a good handle on reality. I'm not tossed to and fro based on emotions or feelings. Listen, every single Christian, if if you're a human being, is anybody in here not human? Oh, everyone's human, good. Then that means this. You have emotions and you have feelings. You have emotions and you have feelings. I have emotions. Anybody ever, has ever had a bad day? Has anybody ever had a bad day? I know I have. Ever would have a day where you just think it would have been better if I just would have just stayed in bed today? Because I'm dealing with a bunch of crazies today. When we come to a place here, Peter is saying, I want you to be sensible. I don't want you being tossed to and fro. Because today your emotions are out of control based upon the trial of your faith. You see, by me giving that to the Lord and casting it upon Him, I can then have a good handle of reality. You know what that reality is? He is always in control. Be sensible. Thirdly, he says this under sober, that means this, be solemn. You know what that word solemn means? Deep sincerity or dignified. My, um, does anybody, has anybody raised teenage girls and, or or girls, not teenage girls, just girls in general? Sometimes, and help me, I'm going to, I need some help here. Sometimes, sometimes our girls uh, at at the dinner table have, have, have burped. Is anybody other, other girls? My wife's probably going to get embarrassed here. Have you, has yours done that? So at least just the blacks and I, we're the only ones that have girls that, that burp. And my wife gets so frustrated. Now when it first started happening, like there'd be like a high five and like I, I'd say, it's pretty good. And my wife would say, no, they're girls. They're not supposed to do that. And so my wife, gave, my, wife, my wife gave a little speech to, to our oldest. You can't, you can't do that. If, if, if you burp and make noises, you know, and, and do things like that, that boys are going to think it's gross and, and boys will never like you. And, and she corrected us. She said, that's not true because in, 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 in school, when, when one of the girls make a noise at the lunch table, the boys all think it's funny and laugh and they love it. And so, like, what we were trying to teach her daughter not to do, we found out the boys actually like that, I guess, when girls do it. But we teach our kids, be dignified. You can't just sit at the table and make noises. Like, you can't do that. Maybe you can, but you're not supposed to. You know, what Peter is saying here in being sober, he's, he's getting us to understand that we as believers are to realize 
there is a certain behavior that a Christian is supposed to follow. When you go to a funeral, there's normally, you know, you dress a certain way, you're quiet. I was at a few, couple funerals this week, and before, before it even started, everything got really quiet, and everyone was sitting there. And I said to the funeral director, I said, boy, we've got 10 minutes to go, and it's like a library in there. Nobody, nobody was yelling and screaming and talking and jumping over the pews. It was very dignified. There was a certain way to act when you're at certain places. Peter is helping the Christian to understand when you're in the trial of your faith, when you're going through persecution, the Christian has a certain way to act. And that way is confidence in the Lord. I behave in such a way that shows who my confidence is in. It's in the Lord. And so he says, I want you to be sober. He says this, number two, number two, I want you to be vigilant. This is how the Christian is to behave, to be sober, to be vigilant. You know what that word vigilant means this, keeping careful watch for possible danger or difficulty. That's how we're supposed to act. As a Christian, we're constantly vigilant. We're, we're, we're keeping careful watch for danger or difficulty. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I uh, uh, was, was just got home and it was still light out and, and uh, 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 Kayla, uh, no, Chloe was out playing basketball and she was all by herself. And so I walked in and, and I didn't think it was a big deal and, and she's playing basketball and she tries to, she, she's our youngest, she's trying to figure out how many times she can bounce the ball without losing the ball. Well, you know, what happens is you can get to the place where you're, she's bouncing that ball and you know where she ended up and didn't even realize where she was? In the middle of the street. She is in the middle of the street bouncing the ball, and she is having the time of her life in the middle of the street. And, and Michelle Watt looks out the window, and she says, what is she doing? And I jumped up, and I looked. I wanted to see what she was doing as well, and she's in the middle of the street. I'm laughing. Michelle's upset, and, and, and I'm thinking, what is she going to do? Is she going to go get in trouble? Is, are the neighbors going to see her getting this spanking all the way in the house? You know, what, what's going to happen out in front? Am I going to have to call the cops? I mean, what is going on in front of the ranch house? And this was the thing. Chloe knows that she's not allowed in the street. She knows it. She wasn't in the street trying to be disobedient. She had no idea she was in the street. She wasn't vigilant. She found herself because she was just oblivious to anything around her because she was bouncing the ball and she was like at 100. And this is great. Well, she ended up, started at the garage, ended up in the middle of the street, had no idea what her surroundings were. What she didn't realize was she was at a place where now her safety. Sometimes as Christians, we get so involved in the things of our life, what we don't understand is we're going to get ourselves out here to a place that becomes dangerous. And what becomes dangerous in this verse, the Bible says, be sober, be, be vigilant. Why? He says, because... Number two, I want you to write this down. Number one is there's responsibility of the believer. Number two is there's a reality of an enemy. Most of us do not live our Christian life truly realizing 
how powerful the enemy is. And sometimes you hear people say, yeah, you know, Satan's really after me. What, what happened? I had a flat tire this morning. And I want to say to that person, listen, Satan doesn't really care about your tires. He doesn't want to just have you waste a few minutes of your day. He wants to destroy your life. And Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, understand there's an enemy. And I want to give you a few things, what he tells us here. Look Look how he describes this. He says, because your adversary, your adversary, the devil, he describes him as the adversary. There's an enemy. Number one, I want you to write this under enemy, his description. His description is your adversary. You know what that word adversary, it means this, one's opponent in a contest, a conflict, or dispute. Satan is always the adversary. And look what he does. He makes himself look like your friend. You know what Satan wants to do? Everything that can harm you, he wants to put in front of you like you need it. Genesis chapter number three. Satan knew that if Eve ate of that tree, what it would do? Satan knew if he could get Eve to eat of that tree and and Adam to eat of that tree, then the the curse of sin would come. He knew judgment would have to be made. He knew knew that it wasn't going to exalt them to become like God. He knew that it was going to, from that moment on, they were going to begin to die. But what does Satan do? He says, oh, that tree, that tree looks good. A tree, look at that tree, look how beautiful it is. And, and, and God just doesn't want you to have it. Listen to me, Satan does the same thing in our life. He causes you to take, you get to a place where we're preoccupied in our life and he brings things to our attention and he brings them in such a way to what he does is he shows you how good you have it, how much you're missing, what you need. And we must understand he is our adversary. He's always the enemy. He's always the enemy. He's never our friend. Nothing that Satan presents to us is ever for our good. It always is for our destruction. We've got to remember that. His description, he's the adversary. He's our opponent in a contest or a conflict. Why is he our enemy? Why does Satan hate us so much? Because we're a child of God. There was a great battle that took place in heaven and Satan wanted God's majesty, he wanted God's authority, he wanted God's power, and guess what happened to Satan? He lost. He was tossed out of heaven and a third of the angels were tossed with him, but Satan has not given up since that time. He wants to do everything he can to disrupt God's plan. He wants to do everything he can to disrupt God's children. He wants to do everything he can That's why when Christ came to this earth, what did he do? He brought Jesus when Jesus was out in the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Listen, he was God, and we know that he was sinless, but we also realize this, he was 100% human, and when you fasted for 40 days, imagine how hungry you would be. 
And Satan uses that emotion and uses that pain that Jesus is having and he begins to use that to tempt him to try to do what? To try to get him to bow to him, to try to get him to listen to Satan. Satan presented it with all good. Hey, make those stones into bread and that bread will ease that, that feeling in your stomach. Hey, bow down or, or, or jump off of that temple and, 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 and the angels will come or bow to me and I'll give you all of this. It was everything. Look what would happen if you would do this in a positive way. Satan always wants to destroy us because he's our adversary. And what did, what did Christ use? Scripture. The only way to deal with Satan is the Word of God. It's the only way. He's your adversary. The reason why is because there's a war that took place in heaven. Satan desires God's authority and he has constantly been against anything that God has blessed. You know what I find here? He's, his description, he's our adversary. His desire, his desire is to intimidate. Look with me here, same, same verse. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. How many of you ever watched that movie Simba? Or what is it, not, not Simba, Lion King, Lion King. Only reason I watch it, I have kids, honestly. You ever watch Lion King, that little Simba? He stands out there and he roars like a lion. And, and then all of a sudden, like all of these other lions in the sky behind him, they roar and all the bad guys run away. Did I cut the right movie? She's laughing at me. I might be putting that in another, another movie together, but go with me. Just, just say yes. That little, that little, little lion, he, he roars. He ain't, he's not powerful. My puppy could beat him, you know? Listen, Satan, his desire is to intimidate. His desire is to get the believer to the place where his roar, his roaring line, he walks about, he's this roaring line. Listen, he wants you to intimidate you to think that he's powerful and life is hopeless. He wants you to get to a place in life where you're hopeless, where you need to depend upon the Lord. And he will use intimidating things to get you there. I want you to see this as well, his determination. We see his description is the adversary, his desire to intimidate, he's a roaring lion, his determination. Look at, look at me here. He says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. Listen, something that we need to understand about the enemy, he never quits. He never quits. He's constantly looking for one of God's children to destroy. He never quits. He walketh about. I want you to see as well in the same verse, what is he doing? Seeking whom he may devour. Not only do we see his de determination, we see his motive. He walketh about seeking whom he may. What is it? What's that word devour mean? Consume. Listen, he's not looking to just disrupt your life. 
get this. He's not looking to just cause you a little aggravation. He's not looking to just do something to give you a bad day. Peter says his motive is to devour you. To destroy you. To leave you for dead. You've got this trial, this persecution, this, this journey of suffering you're on. In what Satan is doing, Satan is looking for the believer that is caught up and consumed in this persecution, consumed in this suffering, consumed in this trial. And this Christian that is not casting their care upon the Lord, that's not giving it to the Lord, and that's not behaving like the, the, the child of God that they're supposed to do, Satan is watching. He's lurking. You see, when I'm casting my burdens on the Lord and I'm letting the Lord deal with these and I'm behaving right and I'm responding right, he has no power over me. Do you ever see one of those, one of those um, National Geographic films in Africa where the, 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 there's a whole uh, group of animals and then like one goes off and like out of nowhere, like they get grabbed and all the ladies are like, oh, and all the guys are like, yeah, look at that. And all the girls are like, oh, he just got that baby little whatever, zebra. And the, the lion's got the baby zebra in his mouth and his four legs are just kind of hanging there. And he's making that noise. That, ah, ah, you know. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you're just like, oh, mama, go get him. Go get him, mama. And mama, like, I ain't touching you. You should have stayed with me. And they go into the forest in the jungle and the zebra's gone. They ate him, Zeta. Good. Listen, that lion didn't go there to just like, you know, play games with the little zebra baby. He went there to devour the zebra baby. He doesn't just smack the little zebra baby around and say, get back with your mama. He puts him in his mouth and he bites down hard because his goal is to devour. That's his motive. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. When we are in the trial of our faith, when we are under that persecution, when we're here under this suffering, Satan is there walking about waiting for the Christian to get away from the safety that Christ said, I'll give you. When a Christian says, no, I'll handle all my burdens. I'll take care of it myself. I don't need the Lord. I'll, I'll deal with this. Satan's there to pounce on you, to devour you. When he says, I'm going to deal with this his own way, and I'm going to handle it my own way, and not handle it the way Peter, for the first four chapters, say that we're supposed to handle conflict and problems, what Satan is there to destroy you. And he's not there to help you get back in line. He's there so you never get in line again. That's his motive. Listen, Christian, we need to understand that about the enemy. He's vicious. Peter is getting us to the place where we understand who this enemy is and his motive.
Now I want to, I want to close with this and I'm done. I want you to look with me in the book of Luke because this will encourage you. I'm not going to leave you with the thought of the zebra going out into the jungle, dangling. I'm going to leave you with something else. Some of you aren't going to sleep tonight, are you? Huh? Luke, chapter number 22. This will encourage you. Luke, chapter number 22. Look with me in verse number 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Who's he talking to? Who wrote the book of 1 Peter? Peter. This is back before Peter was the Peter of 1 Peter. He was still Simon. He's one of the apostles. He's with Christ. And Christ says, Peter, Peter, or Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you. That he may sift you as wheat. But look what Christ said. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, do what? Strengthen the brethren. He didn't say, I prayed for you, Peter, that you're strengthened. He said, Peter, I prayed for you. Why did I pray for you? Because Satan has his eye on you. He's waiting for you to get out of the area where God wants you to be. He knows that persecution is coming. Peter, you're going to suffer it. Peter, you're going to be at the the, the place of a trial. And when, when, when that happens, know this. I'm praying for you. What are you praying? That your faith fails not. He says, and then Peter, when thou art converted, I want you to do this. I want you to strengthen the brethren. Listen, do you know what Peter is doing in the book of 1 Peter? He's strengthening the brethren. This is what God in Luke is teaching us here. Jesus said, Peter, Satan wants to destroy you, but I need you because brethren need to be strengthened. Listen, three times, only three times will you find the word strengthened in the New Testament. First time, Luke chapter number 22, when Jesus is talking to Peter. Guess where the second time you find that word strengthened in the New Testament? Someone just take a guess. First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. Go back to First Peter chapter 5, where we came from here. First Peter 5. The very next time you find this word strengthen, it's Peter. Peter says, First Peter chapter 5, verse number 10, he says this, but the God of all grace who hath called us out of his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, the one that just prayed for Peter, the one that said, Peter, I'm praying that you, your faith not fail. He says, and after you suffered for a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen. Peter knows what he's talking about. Because Peter's been through trial. Peter was at a place where Jesus said, listen, Satan is real. And Satan wants to attack you. And he wants to sift you at wheat, like wheat. But I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that your faith fail not. Because there's going to be believers one day that need you to strengthen them, Peter. Peter endured tribulation. He endured that trouble. His faith didn't fail him. So now he's at a place where the purpose of his life is being revealed. And that's to strengthen the brethren. 
Peter is speaking in 1 Peter to Jews that now are saved. They they are now first-generation Christians. They have no idea what this life looks like, but all they know is, I want to follow Christ, and Peter is now a, 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 a use that God's using to encourage them, to let them know, hey, there's a Satan that wants to destroy you, that wants to, to, to devour you. And he says, I'm here to strengthen you. Do you know what the book of First Peter is about? Peter encouraging the suffering Christian to stay strong. It's Peter encouraging the suffering Christian to keep his eyes on Christ. To understand, don't get out. Even in the worst battle you're in, don't get out of the protection that Christ offers you because out here, outside of that protection, there's Satan. You know what else he is? An example. He's an example of someone that stayed. And God's not a respecter of persons. If he was going to bless Peter and strengthen Peter and use Peter for his work, he wants to do the same with you. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, isn't that better than like a zebra getting carried off into the jungle? Isn't that better? Prayer works. His prayer caused Peter not to get consumed by Satan. No matter what you're going through, no matter what persecution you're in, no matter what trial you're in, no matter what, what uh, uh, situation you're having in life, no matter what trial you have, you know this, Christ has the power to deliver you. Satan, he can just intimidate. But he can't beat Christ. Peter's whole job was to stay faithful because there's Christians that one day are going to need him to strengthen them. He's penning 1 Peter to a group of Christians that need to be strengthened. Book of 1 Peter is written to the Christian that needs to be strengthened. You have hope in Christ. You do not have to let the trial of your faith consume you. Satan has no authority over Christ Jesus.